Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. So welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast and Wait till you meet my next guest, Susan Murphy. She started as one of the nation's first radio traffic reporters in Philadelphia, moved to Florida to be a TV news reporter and a weather girl back when they called them that. And at 25, she helped start the first traffic reporting service in New York, then became a radio talk show host and producer a news director on on uh, uh, excuse me a news director on Long Island, a public television personality, documentary narrator for several shows, including one that won an Emmy Award, promo voice and producer, college assistant dean and instructor, and a voiceover artist, and now she's a broadcast voice coach, which is why she's talking to us on the Mindful Coach Podcast, because she works actively with people to help them use their voice, inhabit their voice, and powerfully use that as a tool and resource in their lives and their work. So welcome to the show, Susan. I am so happy to be here. I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. I'm sure it will be because you've had, because you're an interesting person. And so tell us, uh, tell us about your journey from being, you know, on camera to being someone who helps people at some point or another, you had this insight and, and movement to go, I'm going to help people use their voice. What was that? What was that mm, pivot like for you? Well, you know, when you're in the broadcast industry, it's always best to be ready to pivot. And that's the word we use or reinvent yourself. Mm. And when I was doing some voiceover work and working at Hofstra University as an assistant dean and teaching broadcast uh, level courses in uh, TV performance, that's when I sort of got it into my head that, you know, I'm pretty good at teaching this. And I love to watch my students just sort of grow in confidence. Mm. And I like to say that most of my students are graduated around 2005, six, seven, Many of them made it into the industry, are still there and doing very, very well. And I like to follow nice. their journeys because I had a little something to do with it. It's so always fun. It is. And and I get to even almost live vicariously since I'm no longer mm. on the air, but they are. And I get to watch their, their journey. And then um, many years had passed and lots of water under the bridge. I was widowed. I decided to move from Long Island down to Charlotte, North Carolina, where my daughter lives. And it was a couple of years ago, I was flipping around the channels and I noticed that I would see young reporters shoot video pretty well. Their writing was okay. The story was fine, but the voice they used really wasn't rising to the level of professionalism that the rest of their work was at. And I thought, God, you know, I could help these kids. They're literally kids. (laughs) And I thought, well, we're going to start, you know, one kid at a time. 
And I ran an mm. idea past a news director friend of mine, and he thought, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I know lots of news directors who would love to be able to offer this to their staff. So he sent me two of his reporters. I worked with them, sent them back. Uh, not sent me. We did all the work on Zoom. And right. <laughs> right. He didn't pay me, but he wrote me a wonderful recommendation. I sort of hung out my shingle on LinkedIn. Two and a half years later, it doesn't pay all the bills yet, but I have a wonderful working relationship with many news directors. Word of mouth comes down and, and particularly young women find me to work with. I even got recommended to coach a game show host on the Game Show Network from somebody that I have no idea how that happened. That <laughs> so I'm, I really do have, I, I, I now have the cred. I have the street cred mm -hmm. as being someone who really can take a broadcaster who just doesn't know how to properly use their voice. Some of them, women in particular, can't even find it. You're right, exactly and, so. Yes. And from there, that's where the seeds of confidence grow. So I worked mm -hmm. with them on both their uh, voice pitch and tone and their writing because they have to go together. And I love it. It is my life's calling. I love doing this. I mm. will do it till the day I die. Oh, wow. Nice. Well, that's just, I can feel you when you say that. You know, I can tell you. You light up when you say, I love it, and it really is authentic and real for you. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, and I can see how you can, you know, sitting there and you're watching some, you know, an, a new person in the industry on camera going, looking at their phone, greeting this group. Well, and today at the intersection of, and it's kind of like, okay. And, 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 you know, it's, it's cool, but I hear what you're saying because I've had some similar thoughts. I've thought, these guys need a little work. There's a little bit of, um, you know, and, and everybody starts somewhere, right? Yes, but when I was coming up, people before me, too, you didn't go straight to television. You mm -hmm. always went to radio, news radio or a radio station doing morning or afternoon news. Well, that kind of fell off. Those days are gone, right? They're gone, and yeah. they're not coming yeah. back. So <laughs> it's kind of a sin that these kids just don't have the opportunity to learn anything about the instrument that they have because when they're in school they constantly are talking about the technology it's this it's that it's this mm -hmm. it's that so many reporters they don't have photographers they run the camera they set up the shots they get the light they do the whole thing uh -huh. they edit it's horrible let me well, <laughs> say that and so their voice is the last thing they think of but it's the first thing a viewer sees and hears. Mm, interesting. And so how do we make this particular conversation work for for coaches and for people who aren't necessarily in front of cameras? Although these days, if you're producing your own work, you know, you need to be comfortable in front of a microphone and a camera these days. I say you need to be. I would encourage, you know, I encourage the people at the Mindful Coach Association and other places um to you know get comfortable with these this as a medium right. um, and so is that the intersection that you find here as well sure because i've actually branched out and i've coached ministers i've coached ceos i've coached nurses many of these people wanting to do things create a video series or create a podcast or whatever it is but even on in what you do 
in your work being a mindful coach, you stress helping your clients find their natural and authentic voice, yeah. which is exactly what I do, but I do it in the literal sense, <laughs> in the figurative sense, although both of them go together. So right. especially with women who just have trouble accessing their natural pitch, which is way lower and way rounder and mostly way more beautiful than they know, it's a, it's a system that I've kind of worked out after years of singing lessons and voice lessons and voice acting lessons and then just what I know from being on camera, that there are ways to access more beautiful tones. It's amazing to me, I didn't know this was going to be part of my job going into it, that anywhere from 15 to 20% of the women I work with can't seem to let go of breathy, childlike, girlish, higher-pitched voices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of tools in my toolbox to help you. You know, there are psychological ones and physical ones. And I once had to have some um, vocal therapy after a bad bout of laryngitis. So I've even done the blowing through, um, blowing air through a straw into a glass of water that has about two inches of water. And when I can't get those women to find that pitch, then I have to have a conversation with them about what life was like maybe growing up, who their siblings yeah. were, what their family life was like. And invariably what happens is I learn that um, maybe because of where they were in the birth order or because of their um, ethnic background, mm -hmm. weren't wanted. They were told to go away. I, you know, I don't care about your opinion. You know, let's let your brother do this. Lots of reasons why women's voices are squashed. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, too, I think that to survive a dysfunctional family or to survive bullying in school, that their smaller voices, the breathy voices, help them to survive that. And I sometimes think, too, that the male figures in their life would prefer their sure. voices stay small and quiet. Right. I mean, a young girl learns that by speaking in a certain way, using a certain kind of pitch and a certain kind of intonation, that that's the way she gets the attention of the men or male figures around her. And speaking in some other way, she doesn't draw the same quality of attention. Then you learn to associate that with getting... The results that you want out of it. And I hate to be very mechanistic about it, but oftentimes those are the explorations that we go through as children. It's like, how do I work this world? How do I work my voice? How do I work my body? Yes. You know, who am I? And how do things, how do I interact with things? It's very, uh, very innocent and yet very powerful work. And it's, it's rewarding to me to have those women, if I'm, kind of dancing around the issue a little bit. I'm not a therapist, but they'll say, well, yes, that resonate, resonates with me, or they'll come sure. back in another session and they'll, sometimes their eyes are a little filled with tears and and they say, yes, that, that was my life growing up. And I was working with a minister who her eyes filled with tears and she went, oh my God, that's been every woman in my house for generations. 
and wow. I have a young daughter, and I'm not going to let that happen to her. Wow, wow, nice. So, to, so once they realize that it's literally that they have to give themselves permission mm-hmm. to step into a different voice, to, you know, those voices in our head, particularly when you're going to be a, a reporter or an anchor, and you grow up thinking that's what you want to be, and you go through school being that's what you're going to be, there's a little voice up there that says, okay, you're a reporter or an anchor now, so now you have to sound like one. <laughs> uh, no, that's not really what you have to sound like. But there's but those other voices too, like the voices that say, oh, no, 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 don't don't give me that, that deeper voice because mm-hmm. you remember back when. Mm-hmm. You just have to take those voices and say, thank you for getting me to this point. Nice. Voice, could you move over just a little bit? I'm going to try something new. Don't wrestle with yeah. that voice. You're not going to win. Right. That's yeah. That's really strong advice right there. And I then will say, you know, and the more you work with the natural pitch that is you, the voice will fade away. It goes on its mm-hmm. own. Don't wrestle with it. And I have watched some women just go from part-timers to full-timers and then they jump markets and one of them is in the um one of the top three markets in uh, tv rating land so it's wonderful for me to watch these women access something they've always had they just mm-hmm. didn't know it they just mm-hmm. didn't know it it wasn't something that was encouraged or you know men's voices change at puberty because of hormones our voices don't. Their mm-hmm. vocal cords grow larger. Ours don't. Our vo- a woman's vocal cords is the size of a dime. A man's vocal cords, the size of a quarter. Mm. And it's amazing to me that that instrument with which we communicate to the world is the size of a dime. So let's use it. <laughs> so, and when you learn to tap into that authentic voice, because it lives in your gut, because it's at the bottom of your diaphragm, you know, and I show them how you activate the parasympathetic nervous system and the breathing exercises, it changes the way they walk into a room. It changes the mm. way they stand to do anchoring or, or the stand-up in the, in the story they're doing. So for me, it has been a joy to do, but I had no idea that so many women just never knew how to find that voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I really all the time. I, I really uh, am interested in that. What you just mentioned about because of the they land in this authentic voice, it changes the way they walk into a room. How would you say? What's the what are the what are the mechanics of that? And in terms of like, how does that actually work? Why did, why is it that that that, that, would, that finding your voice would change the way you walk into a room? And what's the impact of that on the people around them? The, the impact on them is that they now realize, hey, wait a minute. What I have to say, the way I have to say it, and where I am going to say it is important. Hmm. So I'll say to a reporter, at every TV station, there's a morning meeting where they go in and they discuss what stories are going to be covered. I said, so when you go into the morning meeting, tell me, you know, where do you go? 
uh, to the far corner, like in the You back. mean like physically in the room? Physically in the room. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're going to walk into that meeting. You're going to stand next to the news director. Mm-hmm. And you're going to outline what your story is going to be that day and, and why you're going to do it. And they look at me with wild eyes. Right. Just I it. really love it that you mentioned that because it's one of the, because now we're really talking about moving away from, not away from, but we're, we're talking about is including group dynamics and the impact of coming from an authentic place. And one of the things I try to teach people um, in the right context is something I call dealing yourself in. And so, what's that? I love that. Dealing yourself in. Dealing yourself in, right? So it's just like it's just like you're saying. You come in, it's kind of like instead of being at the back of the room. I mean, you're the reporter. You're the face of the 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 story, right? So it's like, and and instead of being the new kid on the block back of the room, or in this case, a coach, where or uh, you know who's got something, and standing in the back, going, "Oh, well, I'm just going to wait to see the lay the land because I don't feel powerful enough." But whenever you find your voice, right? You just automatically step into the table and say, this is my seat. I have a voice here and it needs to be heard because what I've got is unique and it's not an idea. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to do it. It's, it's, an, it's a fact, right? Yes. It's, yes. And, and that's, a, that's the thing. It's like, oh, no, I actually do have a, a contribution that matters and it needs to be heard. It's a service to the group. For me to speak up. And it's not ego. It's just it's just the truth. Right. And isn't it funny, I think it's funny, that people who want to be in front of an audience, in front of a camera with tens of thousands of people watching them, they're afraid to approach a table full of other people <laughs> like them to speak up, to speak their mm. truth, to be a little bit more assertive. You know, when I was coming up, I stand on the shoulders of a Jane Pauley, of a Barbara Walters. And I, in the late 1970s, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna, not, I didn't think technically, but I'm paving the way for the next generation of women broadcasters. No, apparently I didn't, because it's just as bad as, <laughs> it's not quite as bad as it was in the late. You know, you can't call them a weather There's girl still now. some more paving to do. There's, yeah. well, there's a lot more paving to do, but at least it's a girl. That's so, true. Yeah, we're, we've made some progress, but not enough. And I don't understand how that happened. The generation of me raising daughters, what did we forget? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> We, we did it. I it's not. I don't think it, it's a. It's a massive institutional issue. You know, it really is. I suppose. I suppose. But yeah. I. I. If you can stand in your agency, you know, when I, I when I coach these young reporters to help find that voice, to do the breath work, to focus where you are, and they hear themselves for the first time, it, mm. it surprises them. It's like. I've never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Not only is it surprising to you, it's it's going to stop the room when you... Exactly, right? I you. love it. I love that so much. Right. I tell people, I say, when you speak from your authentic voice, people will notice. 
And I and I have another thing I say. You become um, what is it? You become uh, not unassailable, but become more or less invincible, irrefutable. Is what you become irrefutable. Okay. Because no one can dispute your that 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 you're being authentic, and they may. And even if they do dispute it, it doesn't matter to you because you know it's not so. I love and, that. Uh, I'm going to start using the word irrefutable. That's a great. Yeah. So when you speak, so the phrase, I I don't know where I learned this, but I'm sure I learned it. But it's more like when you speak from your authentic voice, you become irrefutable. And uh, love that. And people do pay attention. They do. Because you suddenly have this gravity. Right. Yes. And they and people love that gravity. Uh, One of the things that occurs to me, like, as I think about your particular profession of broadcast and people who are in on stage, is I feel that there's two different kinds of things. And and I'm I don't know if this resonates with you, but the way I'm sensing this is like there are people when I see them in a broadcast or on stage roles or that they feel like they're magnets to me, like they want the energy coming to them. And then there's another kind who feels more like an emanation to me, like a lighthouse who's going out. And it sounds to me like the work that you're doing is flipping the bits so that people who come into this saying, I like, I want the attention, actually become the emanations rather than the light grabbers or the light givers. I like to say there are two kinds of people in our industry. There were the children who grew up with too much applause mm. and the children who grew up with not enough mm, applause. Wow. They are drawn to the industry. Those who want the attention are the shiny, overdone, slightly over the top, or very over the top. <laughs> very over the top. Sucking it in. It's those young people who did not get what they needed growing up who find themselves drawn to journalism to shine light into dark corners, to tell mm. stories of people who are voiceless, to, to illuminate, educate, inform many, many people at the same time. They're the people who want to give it back, who want to emanate out. They're becoming fewer and far Fewer and far in between. (laughs) Most of the young people just think, oh, I'm going to be on TV. And then they get here and they realize it's not really glamorous. It won't make enough money for years. They're going to work so hard. They are going to do overnights and weekends and holidays and complain. Oh, boy, do they complain. (laughs) But that's another story. So it's it's those young people who didn't get that applause. Mm. really want to do what's right for the world. And so in terms of coaches and people who who are, they're not necessarily broadcast personalities, but what do we, what do you say to uh, someone who's in a role where they're, they're moved to help other people? And it's like you're saying, you know, these journalists, they want to shine lights in dark places. But in a coach, they, they just literally want to help someone be better in some way in their life. But at the same time, they have this, they, they you know, who they have this, uh, um, how should I say, some kind of resistance, reluctance where they don't truly fully empower themselves to do that because of this doubt about, well, what. What do I have to offer? What's my voice in all of this? 
How would you help a coach kind of learn to say what it is that they do with the same kind of authority that we're talking about? That's a good question. Well, you have to figure, I don't go find my clients. They come find me. And mm. what's that old Asian expression, when the student is ready, the teacher appears? Mm-hmm. I do believe that to some great degree. I had a singing teacher who appeared at just the right moment when I was cast into a show where I had to sing a duet and I'd never sung a duet on stage in my whole life. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think coaches in in approaching their students, clients, patients need to believe that they have so much to share. They have so much of themselves, their knowledge, their background, their ability to understand, their ability to listen. That's another Mm. thing I do a lot of. I listen because Mm. what am I doing? I'm trying to improve the sound of your voice and how you write. So I listen a lot. And I think, I think you just have to go with what you know. The person who is in front of you is there for a reason. They need mm-hmm. something that you have. Maybe you don't even know what it is yet. Um, I was working recently with a, a young woman, who ha- a young reporter, who has a noticeable lisp. And she was in her first job and she was looking to get into her second. And it was all she could think about was this, the lisp when she's on the air. And what we finally, I'm like, I'm not a speech therapist. I don't really, not sure what I'm going to do with this. But in working with her, what I could do with her was take your, don't notice, don't even for one minute, think about how you're saying it. Mm-hmm. Connect to the story, connect to your audience, be passionate, and and really tell me that story. Don't worry about what's coming out. Just be passionate in your storytelling. And we did it often enough, and we, we were rehearsing one day, and I, I forget what it was, and I had... I wasn't looking at her, I was listening. And I turned back around and she went, was that okay? Did did you, certainly you, did you notice the lisp in that? And I said, no, actually I didn't. I was so wrapped into your storytelling. What lisp? I didn't hear it. So sometimes you don't know what it is you have that you can give. Just trust the process maybe. Mm. I've had clients that I've had to work with that I don't like. But I still have to work with them, hmm. so I, I, I do my best, and that can be hard because that I can be to, hard. I have to control myself. Never mind teach well, them. Well, right. I mean, it, that that's what I in, in coaching that I teach. I call the dual awareness, where you have to be aware of what it is you do, and, and it can go the other way too. You can really, really like someone, and that can sometimes be in the way sometimes as much as not liking someone and then trying to adjust your approach to someone so that you can be of service as best you can Uh, you know and i'm i'm straight up with the people that my coaches that i teach and saying not everybody's a good fit for you you yeah right and it's 
And it's a good idea in the coaching world to be able to sort that out early. Um, now, whenever you're in a corporate scenario and someone is paying you and they bring you people, you, you don't you don't get to pick them. They're just brought to you. And I imagine that's the situation you're talking right. about. Right. News directors funnel people to me and there they are. That's you who know, they it's are. Not like yeah. I can, oh, let's let's work together for an hour to see if we're a good fit. Uh, no, that doesn't. No, yeah. <laughs> um, but but for your for your coaches, I'm thinking. I hope they're tapped into their natural pitch and tone because when you do tap into that and when you are truly listening to your client what comes out is us I was going to say the word soft it's a it's a it's a quieter it's a mm -hmm. there's power in it but everybody's voice when it drops and I can teach you how to do it. In fact, the short version is exactly seven words, which I'll do before I go. But when you can look somebody in the eyes and, and gently speak what it is you need to say to them, mm -hmm. for one thing, it feels, I think, like a hug. Because yeah. I'm dealing with, with clients who they speak too fast, their pitch is too high. I've got young men who think they're on Sports Center. Um, girls who can't take a breath to save their soul. <laughs> You're like that. You're not doing anybody any any favors because there's not any real listening going on back and forth. And in the first mm -hmm. in the first hour that I coach, they practically say nothing because it's all about the breath work in the first hour. So mm. there is something about being able to regulate your breath so that your pitch drops and so that when you speak boldly and with purpose a little bit of thinking before you speak i mean i say to my reporters you have to take breaths you have to take breaths so you can continue to speak but those breaths allow me your viewer to catch up with what you just said yeah so in coaching yeah. Particularly, I would think, when you're bringing up something very personal, something brand new, something that maybe stops them in their tracks, this should be a lot of time for silence, I would think. And every now and again, I, too, rely more on silence between us than conversation. Yeah, uh, strong advice, isn't it? And because a lot of coaches are trying to fill up the, every moment with something mm -hmm. powerful. And not willing to give space to, or not comfortable with giving space to um, letting what can emerge, emerge that needs a, just a little breath yeah. uh, to, and time. And sometimes the most powerful moments I've had with clients have come whenever I've been moved to speak and I just shut up. And I just let the client do their work on their own behalf. And if you're doing the right things as a coach, you're bringing in all this stuff and you're causing them to kind of hang out with notions and concepts and feelings and sensations and ideas that they are a little uncommon for them and can take some time for that cake to bake, so to speak. Yeah. One of the things I say is you, you can't bake the cake by turning up the heat. You can't bake it faster by turning up the heat. No, right? you just burn the edges. Yeah. Even reporters who are doing interviews 
particularly, and these are so common nowadays, I call it the grieving mother story. When mm -hmm. you're, you're having those tough interviews for the people who have agreed to do it, don't interrupt them. If they mm -hmm. stop talking, don't go to fill that space. They're processing. Let them. Don't rush to ask another question or to do something else. Let the silence sit there for a minute. That's powerful. It is. It's very powerful. Yeah, that's well, great advice. Flip it. How about how about all my reporters? I was working with a bunch from Kentucky last year, I guess it was, and they had had some severe tornadoes. So these young kids are going out reporting on horrendous damage, some deaths, mostly damage, families, neighborhoods completely upended, uprooted, and then they come back. And brand new for them, they need to decompress. They need to mm -hmm. um, process what they saw. It's, you know, when you're in the moment and you're doing it and you, you can do it until you get home and then then suddenly everything you saw, everything you heard, kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. So yeah. I'm very careful with my clients. I have one young man who, um, in Missouri, who got assigned three weeks in a row a story that had to do with sex abuse of a child. Oh, no. And I, I said, okay, after the third, please tell your news director, you're not this week. You need time to decompress. So just for him to talk about it to me mm -hmm. was a little bit helpful, but I think he probably needed to do more because he heard well, I would think so. Long. That's a, that's super intense stuff. And, and, and coaches get this. And, your coaches and therapists. Yeah. We hear about this all the time with coaches, therapists, particularly those in the, in the healthcare industry who, you know, they deal with so much, um, oh, God, yeah. you know, st stress and trauma and, and, and people in urgent need. Uh, that it can be very um, destabilizing to your own emotional well-being. And learning to take care of yourself is really hard work because mm -hmm. there's so much need. And a lot of coaches and therapists and other practitioners are, imp are empathetic people. And uh, uh, there's a it takes some work to learn to not let your empathy be such a burden uh, right. and, and it, but what you're saying is I totally I totally respect that and, and, and appreciate that you're bringing that up because you know these these reporters and all of us were human beings and and these are things that impact us and being aware of the impact on that is a part of being mindful about your own experience in the world yes. and that's what's going to give you all kinds of authority because let's just say your your reporter ignored it and keeps on doing it and pretty soon, can't do the job as well as they would like to do because they're not caught up with they're not respecting the impact of the work on who on their experience moment to moment right and pretty soon they're 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 not even able to do reporting of any sort um yep. and, and and it's unnecessary anyway i'm I'm kind of on a soapbox a little bit but that's, uh, that's <laughs> on that soapbox <laughs> Mm. So what would you say then um, to, oh, you said you were going to share the, what were the seven words? Yes, the seven words to drop your pitch. Okay, really easy. Seven words. Drop your shoulders. Breathe into your belly. 
when I learned this drop your shoulders mm -hmm. thing from a vocal teacher about 25 years ago, this was mind blowing. It you have you have no idea how much your shoulders have to do with well, first of all, when we're when we're tense, when we're nervous, when we're excited, when we're under stress, where do we carry it? In our shoulders. Mm -hmm. So if you can learn literally with every breath to drop your shoulders, which eliminate muscle holding across the top of your chest and back, drop your shoulders and make sure when you're breathing and, and as broadcasters and teachers and coaches, we talk a lot. So we breathe in through our mouths and out. So mm -hmm. as you breathe in, picture it going all the way down to that cylindrical muscle that is attached to your lower rib cage. that as you bring air in, picture it like a balloon, it fills with air. And you know you're doing it right because you're belly expands out against the waistband. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And then when you exhale or speak, it contracts. So if you can learn to do this, if not every breath, every other breath, drop your shoulders, breathe into your belly. Because when your shoulders are tense, and when mm -hmm. you start tensing your shoulders, right. it tightens up your whole voice box exactly gets tight, yeah. Yeah. and and everything around you, and your pitch rises. And pretty soon mm -hmm. you're up here. And how annoying is it to have to listen to somebody <laughs> talk up here? And sure, you're getting air in because you're doing what's called clavicular breathing or conversational breath, and it's enough to get a little bit of oxygen down into your um, <laughs> uh, diaphragm, but not. <sighs> Wait a minute! Mm -hmm. Stop. Drop mm -hmm. your shoulders and your pitch automatically comes down. When, we, when we're born, we automatically breathe into our bellies. It's when it's we true. learn to walk and talk and our attention is drawn a million different ways that we start doing that, that shorter, more shallow breathing. When we sleep, we go back to the proper mm -hmm. breathing into our bellies, which is the efficient way of breathing. During the day, most of us do not breathe efficiently. So mindfulness, focusing on your breath, very much a part of what I do with my reporters. I mean, not only does it help with pitch, but it helps focus you and it makes you razor sharp in where you need to be to start the newscast or do the stand-up or, or do that live shot at the crime scene. You know. I was coming, we didn't have school shootings or mass shootings. That was <laughs> not something I ever had to do. And mm. now it's commonplace, which is so sad. Yeah. Um, but if you can pull yourself together, ignore that circus around you with the um, diaphragmatic breathing and, and activate the parasympathetic nervous system, it'll make it a lot easier to do. Yeah, that's really wise in the sense that uh, I remember back in the day I used to be uh, I used to be an actor back in the day, and so I had a lot of uh, that, you know, speaking from your diaphragm and oh, working yeah. with resonance and projecting to the back of the room, you know, right, and that right. whole that whole bit. So it's like very much that. And then with martial arts, uh, there's a training of like moving from your center and breathing from your center. And oh. you, and you've, so you've seen, have you ever seen those guys in martial arts going, hiya, hiya, you know, sure. doing those, they call those kiyot. And uh, 
and they and they do it to activate the a power and you move from your center and so they teach this breathing all the way this very similar breathing all the way down in order to connect to a more fuller motion in your body and so it's energetic and and physical as well so there's all these tie-ins to what you're saying and so for coaches it's like the the advice is like during a transition like in mindfulness transition it's like connect to your breath breathing into your center right going all the way down feeling yourself kind of connect to this whole more integrated relaxed experience of who you are which becomes available to you because you're specifically mindfully on purpose in the moment doing this doing this practice and then when you speak from that place to your clients you come across so much more grounded and authoritative without having to rely on powerful questions instead you're relying on your being you're relying on your your presence and the power of your capacity to just be um, a, a mindful compassionate present for somebody which in and of itself according like Ron Kurtz would say in when you're in the presence of uh, when a client is engages with loving presence Therapy automatically happens. He he created the Hakomi, uh, some mindful somatic method of psychotherapy, and I trained with him for quite a while. Huh. Uh, and so this breathing is very much a part of it because if you're if you're a coach and you're coming in there and you're all like, well, and then and, uh, and what about and do you think that it's like who's going to listen to you, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> and that's now that takes us back full circle to those reporters I heard on the air mm-hmm. or going a mile a minute and a pitch that's much too high. No. <laughs> no. I don't, you. I don't like this. I, I can turn the channel. I always say to them, you don't work for your news director. You don't work for the TV station, the general manager, whoever owns the corporation. You work for me. Why do you work for me? Because I <laughs> you off. Because <laughs> what? What was that last piece? Because I can turn you off. Oh, 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 the audience, right? Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. You work for mm. me, the audience. That's right. Beautiful. I love that so much. So how do people find you, Susan, to connect with you? I have a website called Susan Murphy Vosat. I always thought I was just going to work with TV people, so I didn't think I needed to explain it. Because Vosat is broadcast shorthand for voiceover sound on tape, which is, yeah, it's just a thing in broadcasting. So it's SusanMurphyVosat.com is my website. I'm on LinkedIn. You can certainly find me there. And, you know, no matter where you are in your vocal journey, if pitch and resonance and being able to be just a little bigger, a little broader, a little more commanding in a room or just to one person, because when you master this for an audience of hundreds of thousands, imagine how much better your communication is with your spouse, with your children, with your boss. So there are lots of tips and tricks and strategies I have that vocally will just make your life a whole lot easier. Boy, it's so true. And I, I uh, m- you know, one of my specialties is mindful communications. And I say this all the time. It's like, you know, you would think that 
your mindful communi- communications is like the foundational thing that human beings do that causes things like, oh, civilization to occur. And you would think, because it's so foundational, that we would put a little bit of effort into trying to figure out how this works. You'd think, right? <laughs> and most of us are so bad at it. Hmm? And, and well, well where, what school in what... What class do you go to? We're going to learn how to communicate with each other this this year. Nope. You know, there's you don't get it in college even unless you take like nope. I did interpersonal communications, and so you're just expected to absorb it out of the ether. And it turns out there are a lot of bad habits that you can pick up along the way. Sure. And the good news is there are people like you out there who are saying, "Hey, if you just spend a little bit of time." Tweaking a few things, you can dramatically improve the quality of every conversation you will ever have for the rest of your life. Now, that's a value proposition right there. And so, <laughs> if your eyes are the windows to your soul. Your mouth and conversation is the front door. Oh, that's nice. I like that a lot. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Mindful Coach uh, I podcast. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're, you're welcome. And uh, people can find your uh, contact information in the show notes, reach out to you, and we'll be in touch. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.